essay two of idle hours in a library by william henry hudson this librivox recording is in the public domain essay two pepys and his diary part one i have undertaken to talk to you this evening about a singular book a book that holds a place practically by itself on our library shelves the diary of samuel pepys the writer of this book was not a great man or a strong man or in any way a man of transcendent mental or moral characteristics the work itself has none of those qualities by virtue of which a piece of literature will in the average of cases be found to survive the lapse of time and the changes of fashions and tastes with the acknowledged masterpieces of autobiographic narration with the confessions of st augustine or rousseau for example or the memoirs of benvenuto cellini or gibbon or the dichtung und wahrheit of goethe or the journal of amiel we should never think of comparing it for pepys's garrulous pages have no eloquence no literary quality no magic of style they record no intense spiritual struggles reveal no deep upheavals of thought and feeling flash no new light upon the dark places or into the mysterious recesses of motive and character what then is the secret of pepys's enduring fascination wherein lies the curious spell the undeniable vitality of his work why do we continue to read this chaotic chronicle of his when in the pressure of modern affairs so many books of the past better books wiser books nobler books are left to slumber in serenity in those vast mausoleums of genius our public libraries undisturbed all but forgotten i say nothing now about the historic value of pepys's journal for historic value may have no kind of relationship with broad popular interest and it is with the popular interest and not with the special significance of the work before us that we are at present concerned and therefore my question concretely put is just this how is it that you and i who may care little or nothing for the information that pepys gives us about the degraded politics and miserable court intrigues of the restoration may still find in his daily capricious jottings a charm which as literature goes is almost if not absolutely unique for any one who has ever dipped into the diary at all the answer to this question is not far to seek pepys's memoranda have lasting interest for us on account of their naive frankness their plain and simple spontaneity their transparent honesty of self-expression as we read we realize for once at least we are brought into the closest the most vital contact with a living man and that this man speaks to us who by the irony of fate chance to overhear his unconsidered utterances without disguise without reticence or reserve of the things which stand nearest to his heart the reader of pepys's diary knows pepys himself better than his acquaintances knew him at the office in the coffee-house at the street corner better than his friends knew him at the social board spite of the truth that there is in wine better even than his wife knew him in the intercourse of the home to us he lays bare without sophistication or guile thoughts and impulses desires and disappointments concealed from them beneath the conventional wrappings of daily manners and life personal criticisms and private experiences which living he confided to none does this strike you as a small matter 
then pause for a moment and ask yourselves of what other man whose written words have ever come into the fierce white glare of publication such statements as these could truthfully be made autobiographies memoirs journals confessions letters we have of course without number and the value of these as human documents may in most cases be great in some cases inestimable but do we after all accept literature of this character as the truth the whole truth nothing but the truth do we not rather know that as a matter of course such literature must almost always be in varying degrees forced unreal overwrought theatrical the moment a man begins to talk about himself the dramatic instinct inevitably comes into play the least vain of mortals colors his own experiences the least self-conscious manipulates his motives and transfigures his feelings that which we ought to know best our own heart is precisely that which of set purpose we are forever debarred from describing with more than an approximation to the stern and solid fact you remember the famous words in which rousseau announced his intention of writing the plain unvarnished story of his life i enter upon an undertaking which never had an example the execution of which will never have an imitation i desire to show my fellow-creatures a man in all the truth of his nature and this man will be myself and with this uh, rhetorical exordium the great sentimentalist proceeds as mr lowell happily phrased it to throw open his waistcoat and make us the confidants of his dirty linen the very condition of deliberate self-revelation places an embargo on perfect candor and unconsciousness an autobiographer as george sand said always makes himself the hero of his own novel even if he be a hero of the dirty vagabond type as in the case just referred to here then is the ultimate secret of pepys's peculiar charm beside him rousseau is a mere poseur and the rest are nowhere is not asks mr lowell is not old samuel pepys after all the only man who spoke to himself of himself with perfect simplicity frankness and unconsciousness that he should have done this is no trifling thing he remains seemingly for all time a creature unique as the dodo a solitary specimen to show that it was possible for nature once in the centuries to indulge in so odd a whimsy in speaking of the difficulties inherent in autobiographical writing i lay stress it will be observed on the set purpose the deliberate intention generally characterizing it no small part of the secret of pepys's success as a diarist is to be found in the simple fact that with him the set purpose the deliberate intention and the resultant disturbing self-consciousness are almost entirely absent pepys did not write for the public eye or for any glance save his own he recorded his impressions and enterprises his pleasures anxieties ambitions aims and passing fancies because he found satisfaction in thus summing up the actions of the day each night before he slept and not at all because he proposed to draw a full-length portrait of himself for the benefit of his contemporaries or the amusement of posterity it has been suggested by one of the wiseacres who can never leave a simple fact alone that pepys regarded his diary as material towards a fully developed autobiography possibly so 
but we may be certain that had such autobiography ever been written the self-delineation of its pages would have differed in many important particulars in details put in and even more seriously in details left out from that contained in the journal itself as it is we have an odd and uncomfortable sense when we first open the diary of intruding where we have no proper business of breaking in upon the privacy of a man's life and surprising him in the undress which he might wear for himself but in which he would not willingly be caught by even his closest friend for remember that the six small volumes which contain the manuscript diary are filled with densely packed shorthand peppered with occasional words and phrases from the french spanish latin and greek and that it was only after immense labour that the script was transliterated and the secrets which poor pepys had as he fondly supposed buried there for ever given to an impertinent and unsympathetic world writing thus for himself and for himself alone and guarding himself by every means within his power against the possibility of exposure our chronicler was enabled to make his narrative the luminous because free and spontaneous expression of his innermost life a man may be honest with himself in cipher for whom longhand to say nothing of the thought of subsequent publication would bring the inevitable and fatal temptations to sophistication could pepys have foreseen the ultimate fate of his journal it is safe to say that it would never have been written or once written would have been discreetly burned poor fellow his sense of complete security of inviolable self-concealment made possible such confidences as otherwise would never have been committed to paper but this is not all pepys's unreserved frankness is to be partially accounted for by the fact that he had no fear lest any one but himself should ever read what he found such curious pleasure in writing down yet allowance must at the same time be made for a deeper cause to be sought in an analysis of the character of the man himself plenty of people who can write shorthand and appreciate the usefulness of a diary contrive none the less to go through life without finding themselves under the imperative necessity of recording the minute happenings the petty annoyances and satisfactions the casual meetings conversations comings and goings of the common routine of existence they may enjoy their dinner without feeling impelled at the end of the day to make a solemn note of the fact and add the bill of fare they may fall asleep during a sermon and yet allow the astonishing circumstance to pass unrecorded they may say and do a dozen foolish hasty and unnecessary things and see no cause to dwell upon them and perpetuate them when the evening accounts are made up but the little things of life were great to pepys its trifles singularly grotesquely significant he was a man it is clear of a curiously naive and garrulous temper a born lover of gossip even when he was gossiping only of and to himself and when some of the matters he found to talk about did not by any means redound to his credit mr lowell somewhere speaks of the unconscious humour of the diary this unconscious humour is i think to be referred very largely to this extraordinary naivete to the irresponsible loquacity the love of commonplace and frivolous detail which seem to have been among pepys's most salient characteristics and to his amazing lack of any sense of perspective 
in other words to his congenital inability to disentangle the momentous from the trivial in the complex occurrences of life an interview with the king a discussion with the naval authorities the manning of a ship the arrangements for a war were serious matters to him but so too were the purchase of a new periwig the sight of a pretty face in the theatre a specially succulent joint of meat at the midday repast a game of billiards or ninepins it is needful to lay stress on these personal qualities because they are of the very essence of the man of the very essence of the diary that it should have seemed to him worth while to place on record if only for his own perusal so many things that most of us would give no second thought to that is the point to be noted as one only a little less astonishing than the diarist's odd plainness of dealing with himself i have said that the use of a cipher which none of your family or acquaintances can read is in itself a premium upon veracity yet pepys's singular remorseless honesty of self-expression remains still in the last degree surprising the diary is full of confessions which i venture to think you and i would hardly feel called upon to make even to ourselves so strong so irresistible does the dramatic tendency become in most of us the moment we begin to touch our own lives if we are fond of reading it would be natural to us i suppose to jot down the names of the books we buy or dip into and any criticism we may have to make upon them but i wonder how many of us would think it incumbent upon us to commit ourselves to such an entry as this to the strand to my booksellers and there bought an idle roguish french book le chole des filles which i have bought in plain binding avoiding the buying of it better bound because i resolved as soon as i have read it to burn it that it may not stand in the list of my books nor among them to disgrace them if it should be found a declaration like this may strike us as absurdly familiar when we light upon it but it takes a peeps to make it after all and we therefore feel that in the solemnity and precision with which such an experience is recorded rather perhaps than in the experience itself which is neither very important nor very creditable nor very singular is to be found the key to much that is most interesting and significant in the pages of the diary pepys for instance quarrels with a captain in the army and goes about in mortal dread of possible consequences thousands of men i dare say have found themselves in such a predicament but pepys makes a note of the fact plainly straightforwardly with no pretence at apology or self-deception with no tendency towards heroics again he lies awake one night quaking in fear of robbers and starting at every sound you and i may have done the same but i do not imagine that our journals if searched would contain any indication of the fact take such an entry as the following after we had dined came mr mallard and i brought down my viol he played some very fine things of his own but i was afraid to enter too far into their commendation for fear he would offer to copy them for me out and so i be forced to give or lend him something and i wonder how many of us could lay our hands on our hearts and honestly say that this presentation of motive strikes us as remote unfamiliar alien but while we would hardly dare to look a bit of conduct of this kind squarely in the face pepys does so and unflinchingly sets down the not over-flattering results of his observation 
and he does this not because he has the modern man's morbid love of self-analysis or any of the grim desire of many a recent writer to show himself up as a sorry fellow but simply because it is his habit all through to report frankly and unreservedly the various circumstances of his life withholding nothing adding nothing disguising nothing all this helps to bring the essential naivete of pepys's character into high relief he tears his new cloak on the latch of a door and is greatly troubled though the darning is successfully done he rejoices when mr pierce's little girl draws him for her valentine because a present to her will cost him less than one to a grown-up person he drinks large quantities of milk and beer and gets pains in consequence he acts the sycophant and tuft hunter towards those in power swallowing his own opinions and rejoicing in the success of his diplomacy his appetite for supper is taken away by the sight of his aunt's dirty hands he makes up his mind to try how eating fish will suit him before vowing to diet himself in lent and down all such matters go pell-mell in the diary he wrangles with his mother breaks an oath never to go to see a play without his wife gets a headache by drinking overmuch wine thinks he sees a ghost rejoices to find himself addressed as esquire and down go all these things too he puts his thumb out of joint boxing his footboy's ears in a fit of anger he tweaks mrs pepys's pretty nose is vexed to the heart when sir william penn's page chances to catch him kicking his cookmaid because i know he will be telling their family of it and all these occurrences once again are given due record and chronicle finally not to multiply as one might do indefinitely such illustrations of our writer's singular simplicity and artlessness he even notes being mightily troubled with snoring in his sleep a statement which i have reserved as a kind of climax since i find the allegation of snoring to be about the last that sensitive humanity is willing to bear charge a man with theft if you will but as you value your life do not suggest that he snores to this brief analysis of some of the personal peculiarities upon which the curious charm of pepys's diary so largely depends it would be unfair to the writer not to add mention of a characteristic of a somewhat different order if a diarist like a poet is rather born than made then justice compels us to acknowledge that pepys was a born diarist a man who by reason of his strength and his weakness alike was an almost ideal chronicler of daily affairs and small beer for he possesses something more than the native garrulousness the itch to chatter and to tattle of which we have already said enough his too was another rare quality of equal importance for the success of his chosen undertaking a keen immense tireless interest in men women and things in general he was in the fullest sense of the term a viveur a man who made it his business to get the most possible out of existence and who as matters went in his day touched the world at an amazing variety of points immersed as he was in practical responsibilities fond as he was of money and affairs he nevertheless threw himself with the utmost avidity and ardour into the life of his time an unheroic ulysses forever setting forth upon a voyage of new discovery and fresh adventure 
he loved after his own fashion literature and painting he was a devotee of music and an amateur of the drama and he had the shrewdest eye for character the largest appreciation of the picturesqueness resulting from the clash of motives the contests of opinion and feeling and outworkings of ambitions and passions in the tragedy and comedy of men's everyday social world he was indeed as sir walter scott said of him a man of the most undiscriminating unsatiable and miscellaneous curiosity although exceptionally busy and diligent in his attendance at the office this same writer continues he finds time to go to every play and every execution to every procession fire concert riot trial review city feast public dissection or picture gallery that he can hear of nay there seems scarcely to have been a school examination a wedding christening charity sermon bull-baiting philosophic meeting or private merry-making in his neighbourhood at which he was not sure to make his appearance and mindful to record all the particulars he had an unbounded love of pleasure a craving for new sensations an indefatigable courage in the pursuit of experience a versatility of enthusiasm simply amazing an industry in multitudinous enterprises which makes us breathless as we read he is the first to hear all the court scandal and all the public news to observe the changes of fashions and the downfall of parties to pick up family gossip and retail philosophical intelligence to criticize every new house or carriage that is built every new book or new beauty that appears every measure the king adopts and every mistress he discards in one sentence he will report a debate in parliament in the next carefully itemize the points in a lady's dress now he is deeply concerned over the problems of the navy and anon is to be found mourning the death of a canary or the ruin of his fine bands which he has carelessly slobbered with chocolate accounts of state crises details of court profligacy particulars of his own matrimonial misunderstandings literary criticisms headings of sermons accounts of plays disquisitions on music and finance on dinners and dancing and a thousand other matters important and petty are jumbled together in bewildering confusion in his pages along with sketches of character bits of the frankest self-delineation scraps of wisdom and folly keen judgments of men and circumstances and those notes of success and failure of aspiration achievement disappointment of penitence and sometimes of remorse which belong to the true story of his inner life such is pepys's diary the record of the daily doings and feelings of a busy restless vain easy-tempered pleasure-loving ambitious shrewd yet often fatuous man of the world take it for all in all a book without an equal almost without a rival in its class the author of this extraordinary book despite some rather aristocratic connections was the son of a not very successful tailor and was born perhaps in london perhaps in brampton huntingdonshire the point remains unsettled on twenty third february sixteen thirty two he seems to have been at one time at school in huntingdon but he afterwards appeared regularly as a scholar of st paul's london passing thence in sixteen fifty to the university of cambridge 
of his college career we know little but we have the record of one incident interesting as foreshadowing the convivial tendencies which come out so often and so strongly in the pages of the diary in the regent's book of magdalen college appears the following highly suggestive entry october twenty one sixteen fifty three mem that pepys and hind were solemnly admonished by myself and mr hill for having been scandalously overserved with drink the night before this was done in the presence of all the fellows then resident in mr hill's chamber signed john wood registrar yet notwithstanding this episode and whatever it may be taken to stand for as an exemplification of pepys's way of life as an undergraduate he became the good friend of some of the most industrious of his contemporaries and we have reason to believe acquitted himself in his own studies if not brilliantly still with a very fair measure of success at all events he took his bachelor's degree in sixteen fifty three the very year it will be observed of his bacchanalian misadventure and received his mastership seven years later meanwhile as we learn from a passing note in the diary made a long while after he dabbled in literary composition to the extent of beginning a romance called love a cheat the manuscript of this he tore up and destroyed on thirtieth january sixteen sixty three adding to his chronicle of the event i liked it very well and wondered a little at myself at my vein at that time when i wrote it doubting that i cannot do so well now if i would try pepys may not have shown himself in every emergency of life a strong man or a brave but thus to sacrifice the first heir of his invention even on finding it after all rather better than he had imagined let us recognize here resolution and courage not by any means to be sneered at pepys was about twenty-three when he married elizabeth st michael an exceedingly pretty girl of fifteen the daughter of an huguenot who had come to england with elizabeth maria on her union with charles i of the relations of husband and wife we shall have something to say by and by poor st michel was a man of countless resources and infinite ingenuity and in consequence was frequently both a burden to himself and a tax upon his friends he had the genius for inventing things without it would appear the talent for turning his inventions to much practical account he obtained a patent for curing smoky chimneys and another for cleaning muddy pools evolved plans for the raising of submerged ships and in a moment of special illumination actually discovered the whereabouts of king solomon's gold and silver mines in this respect anticipating the interesting performance of mr ryder haggard in view of these facts it is hardly necessary to add that micawber like he was always in an impecunious condition and pending the establishment of the said mines on a modern working basis was fain to support himself and wife on the offerings of his daughter's husband with an additional four shillings a week contributed out of the charitable fund of the french church in london to one so keenly alive to the meaning and value of money and so cautious and economical in the management of his own affairs as mr pepys the visions and vagaries of such a father-in-law must have given constant cause for dissatisfaction and alarm 
mrs pepys thus brought her husband no fortune but her beauty and as at the time of their marriage pepys himself had obtained no settled position the early years of their wedded life were rendered picturesque from an artistic point of view by financial difficulties and often harassed by the ancient problem of how to make one shilling do the work of two the young couple however seemed to have put a brave face on the matter and to have kept faith in each other and in the coming of better days at this period it must be remembered the diary had not been started and direct information therefore fails us but in after years as wealth grew and his prosperity became firmly established pepys would often cast a back glance at these early times of anxiety and struggle indulging after his manner in many quaint expressions of thankfulness to god over the change and frequent prayers for strength and courage in case of sudden fall on the first page of his diary he notes that though esteemed rich he was in reality very poor a combination of circumstances which is apt at times to be trying even to the most philosophical his salary was then only fifty pounds a year and the straitened character of his domestic condition is shown by the fact that when the curtain rises on the journal we discover mr and mrs pepys dining in the garret on the remains of a turkey in the preparation of which be it mentioned as matter of history poor mrs pepys burned her hand but changes were pending chosen secretary to sir edward montague on his taking command of the fleet sent to bring charles the second to england pepys was shortly afterwards made a clerk to the king's ships a position in which through his industry and astuteness he was presently to be of great service to the country in very critical times this appointment was not however secured without complications and difficulties the actual incumbent of the coveted office one barlow was a rival in the field with personal prestige and influence strong enough to fill poor pepys with dismal misgivings concerning his own chances of success matters at length were amicably settled between the candidates on the basis of a rather singular compromise pepys was inducted into the position on undertaking to pay the said mr barlow fifty pounds a year so long as his pepys's salary was not increased and one hundred pounds a year when it was raised to three hundred and fifty pounds or more the tax seems a heavy one but pepys was willing to accept the responsibility on observing as he duly notes in the diary that mr barlow was an old consumptive man and therefore assumably not one likely to call for many annual payments the old consumptive man lived until sixteen sixty five and the entry made by pepys on hearing of his decease is too characteristic not to be reproduced in full nine february sixteen sixty five sir william petty tells me that mr barlow is dead for which god knows my heart i would be as sorry as it is possible for one to be for a stranger by whose death he gets one hundred pounds per annum while still a young man pepys was made clerk of the privy seal and a justice of the peace the latter appointment mightily pleasing him though he notes the somewhat unfortunate circumstance that he was wholly ignorant of the duties of the post little by little he rose to be the most important and influential of the naval officials with a steadily improving financial condition the record of which is given year by year in great detail in the diary 
trouble came presently in the shape of failing eyesight and by and by he lost his wife but material fortune continued to attend him through years which were fraught for the world of english politics with vast fluctuation and change at length reverses came in sixteen seventy nine eighty he was imprisoned for alleged complicity in the famous popish plot after his release he was made secretary to the admiralty and was for two consecutive years president of the royal society in sixteen ninety he was again imprisoned this time on the charge of jacobinism with this occurrence pepys's active life may be said to have come to a close his constitution had long been undermined by a malady which had been intensified by his sedentary existence and in seventeen hundred he was persuaded by his physicians to leave his house in york buildings and take up his abode at the home of his old friend and servant william hewer at clapham there he died on twenty sixth may seventeen o three having just passed the scriptural term of life pepys's only acknowledged piece of literary work was the memoirs of the royal navy published in sixteen ninety though a small volume entitled relation of the troubles in the court of portugal and bearing the initials s p is sometimes ascribed to him by bibliographers apart from the diary however the peculiar qualities of which it will be understood remove it altogether from the region of comparison pepys's most useful and lasting achievement was the foundation of the famous library at cambridge which still bears his name a collection of manuscript naval memoirs prints old english ballads and curious miscellanea which by the judgment of high authorities remains to-day one of the richest of its class the visitor to Magdalen College, Cambridge, may still inspect this library as it stands in Pepys's original book presses, and if he be a student of the journal and withal a man of any imaginative power, he will hardly fail to recall with what true bibliomaniac delight the old collector gathered these treasures about him in his own home, with what twinges of conscience he sometimes laid out larger sums than he felt he could well afford in their acquisition with what enthusiasm he pored over their pages with what satisfaction and pride he arranged and rearranged them on many a dull and tedious day i have sketched in brief the external history of pepys's life but you must not be under the impression that the whole or even the larger part of his career is covered by the voluminous diary this daily record comprises some ten years only extending from first january sixteen fifty nine sixty when the writer was nearly twenty-seven to may sixteen sixty nine when he had recently completed his thirty-seventh year just how and why he came to open his secret chronicle he nowhere tells us but he makes it very clear that he closed it at length not because he had grown weary of it or ceased to find satisfaction in its composition but simply on account of the failure of eyesight above referred to very pathetic is the final entry and thus ends all that i doubt i shall ever be able to do with my own eyes in the keeping of my journal i not being able to do it any longer having done now so long as to undo my eyes almost every time that i take a pen in my hand 
and therefore whatever comes of it i must forbear and therefore resolve from this time forward to have it kept by my people in long hand and must be contented to set down no more than is fit for them and all the world to know or if there be anything i must endeavour to keep a margin in my book open to add here and there a note in shorthand with my own hand and so i betake myself to that course which is almost as much as to see myself go into my grave for which and all the discomforts that will accompany my being blind the good god prepare me may thirty one sixteen sixty nine s p few readers probably will rise from the perusal of the diary dismissing it with such an entry as this as the closing note without regretting that the end should have come just when it did for we would well have liked to know how pepys responded to some of his later experiences and especially in what spirit he accepted the tragic accidents which presently forced his manhood to the test about these matters we can now only speculate with the feeling that had the journal been continued for even a few years longer we should perhaps have been brought into contact with a deeper stronger more earnest side of the writer's character than actually makes itself apparent in the narrative we little guess what resources of courage and power lie somewhere mysteriously stored up in men and women seemingly the least heroic to be drawn upon only when the great and decisive moments of a lifetime come and it might well give us we fancy a certain sense of satisfaction if we could follow the vain and garrulous peeps through his season of growing wealth and prosperity onward to the time when he fell on evil days and watch him in the enveloping darkness bowing his head amid reverses of fortune or standing face to face with death beside his wife's open grave but it is useless to indulge in hypothesis we must accept the diary as it is and be thankful that the years covered by it were so full of matters of private interest and public importance and if we only think for a moment of all that happened in a public way during these ten critical years and remember that pepys by virtue of his official position was often drawn into very close relations with some of the moving forces and figures of the time names that in their motion were full welling fountain-heads of change we can realize at once that on the historical side this diary has immense value i do not dwell upon this side now for time is limited and there are other matters not so frequently dealt with to which i want to direct attention yet it is necessary just to say that as documentary evidence concerning the inner life of the court and society the inconceivable the unutterable profligacy of the king and his followers the irresponsibility of those in charge of public affairs the complete demoralization of the upper classes during the early years of the restoration pepys chronicle furnishes a record that we cannot afford to overlook his simplicity insouciance and habitual self-possession are often more telling than the most eloquent description of historians the most fervid denunciations of moralists an accidental word of his will often lay bare a condition of things which lengthy analysis supported by innumerable references to authorities will hardly make us realize a few passing sentences penned au jour le jour having frequently the power of throwing such circumstance otherwise almost incredible into sudden and lurid relief 
indeed the mere fact that the temper of moral indignation is not one to which pepys often or easily gives way itself lends added force to all he writes and intensifies the meaning of his rare exclamations of horror or protest if pepys had any political convictions at all they were of the most flexible kind he did not cultivate the sort of conscience which has the troublesome faculty of interfering at unexpected times with its owner's chances of worldly advancement and success brought up under the commonwealth and for a time at least marked by roundhead proclivities he readily and rapidly transferred his allegiance to the new regime his only anxiety being it would seem lest his earlier opinion should be resuscitated with unpleasant practical results oddly enough though the diary opens in the midst of a great political crisis when monk was marching from scotland and english affairs were hanging poised in the balance of fate it nowhere contains any utterance of strong party feeling any distinctly enunciated wish either for the restoration of the stuarts or for the preservation of the commonwealth when the merry monarch was settled upon the throne pepys quietly accepted the fact along with the very desirable office in the admiralty secured thereby you say that the spirit thus shown is not a manly and not a noble one alas no pepys i am afraid had but one firmly rooted political principle the principle proverbially associated with the celebrated vicar of bray of looking out for himself and his own welfare here of course we are strongly tempted to indulge by the way in a little conventional moralizing and to congratulate ourselves that in our own days in enlightened america the low aims and sordid opinions of poor old pepys are quite unknown but i restrain my eloquence having other matters on hand the point i want to dwell on for the moment is that testimony to the political and social corruption following the restoration coming from such a man as this is testimony of almost unique value on account of the very character of the witness to lead you through the miry places of the diary is no part of my present plan but let me just say that when such a man albeit unused to the chiding mood bursts out with the exclamation so they're all mad and thus the kingdom is governed when as sometimes happens he speaks with genuine sorrow of what he has heard or perhaps seen in the high places of the land when he scatters among his small talk and frivolous details sentences full of dismal apprehension concerning the country's position and outlook then things must have come to a pretty pass indeed pepys was professionally committed to the stuart dynasty yet as has been well said a splendid eulogy of cromwell could be gathered from the obiter dicta of his pages certainly we need hardly travel outside the diary itself if we seek only to understand and estimate the iniquities and political short-sightedness of those who succeeded cromwell in place and power end of essay two part one